0: Cassidy, and you're tuning in, turning on, dropping out on WMNF Tampa.
1: The opinions presented on the Healthy Steps show are the evidence-based opinions of Dr. Fred Harvey, the callers, and his guests. These are not the opinions of the staff, the volunteers, or the board of WMNF. The information provided on the show is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease. There is no implied patient-physician relationship in these calls. The nature of the calls is educational and informational only. Good morning and howdy-doody to you, my
0: steadfast friends out there in the vast beyond, and welcome to the Healthy Steps Radio Show here on WMNF Tampa, the only radio station that they stream in Argo land, and you can stream us as well at WMNF.org. Sweet heavens to Murgatroyd, it is Ask Me Anything Monday. So, my challenge to you today, my friend, is to call the Healthy Steps radio show. This show depends on your questions and comments and concerns. So, let's keep my favorite radio commander, Irene, busy this morning. Just give us a call at 813-239-9663, or you can send an email to dj at WMNF.org. And you can also text us at 813-433-0885. Good morning to you, Dr. Harvey. I hope that you had a spectacular weekend and you are now fully rested and prepared to guide us through another AMA Monday. Your patient and loyal listeners have waited a week for this moment, so let me turn this show over to you as I scarper out of here. What's the
1: lay of the land today, doctor? Good morning. Happy Monday, everyone. Thank you, Bill. And uh, well, it's another great day to be alive in this world. I am so grateful that I have another chance to speak with you all and provide you with some helpful hopefully information um the last show we just listened to provided a helpful tip and i think it makes a lot of sense um to keep your phone healthy and the rest of your life don't accept trojan sim cards from government officials and don't put them in your phone or actually accept them and pretend (laughs) um who knows what might be on a trojan sim card they are sneaky they, they are, you know, they they sneak all kinds of things in. I, I really liked how they snuck in a, a couple of studies about ivermectin that they gamed to fail and then said that they failed. Well, who could have thought of anything more creative? <laughs> in any event, um, I just wanted to touch back to our ongoing question of pandemic and uh, the uh, onslaught of booster boosting Um, in the uh, 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 advertising airwaves. Um, I think um, it's actually really um, a little disconcerting to watch major celebrities actually buying into the Pfizer message and marketing this stuff that's questionable at best. The need for it, that is. Um, You know, people that have risk, for severe illness with SARS-CoV-2 infection developing into a COVID-19. It's real. It's real, but almost everyone has had enough shots to have neutralizing antibodies. Um, and quite a few people have had uh, infection that has resulted in natural antibodies. And in the Journal of Infectious Infections and Public Health, uh, August 2023 um, edition was um, an article that I found really interesting. The title of which is Natural and Vaccine-Induced Immunity Are Equivalent for Protection Against SARS-CoV-2 Infection. Hear that again. Natural immunity equals vaccine-induced immunity. So if you've had a severe or a rather intense cov 2 uh, response, you probably have really good antibody production. If you only had mild illness, there is some evidence that you really won't get as much benefit. But if you've had shots and you got a mild infection, your immunity is probably better than everybody else. So the um, size of this study was um, 9.1 million citizens in Lombardy, Italy. And so... We really have some great information here. Natural immunity is real. We've known it's real. And one of the things we have to remember is that we need to do things to keep our immune system intact so it can produce some good um, antibodies. And um, there are numerous things to do lifestyle-wise. One of the best things you can do is breath work. You can actually uh, really... Keep your immune system stable and responsive by keeping your body stable and responsive with breath work. Nutritional supplements help a lot. I've talked about them before. Uh, Exercise on a daily basis helps prevent problems and stabilize the immune system. Getting enough sleep. You want to get enough so you feel rested in the morning. You know, you might be good with seven hours or even six and a half. Most people need seven plus. Some people might need nine. And so sleep as long as you need to, to feel rested so that your immune system is strong. Having and maintaining great relationships also supports your immune system. The um, use of um, uh, other supplements like uh, mushrooms can be useful. And um, so we have lots of tools that can help us remain healthy during the virus season, and we're in it. Influenzas here, uh, other respiratory illnesses, um, possibly a new pneumonia that's circulating, but all of these things are best dealt with prematurely. We want to actually prevent them And so all those things that I mentioned are really important to help prevent. We need to keep the immune system stable, and it will help with all of those illnesses. You know, Americans had some of the highest per capita death rate for the SARS-CoV-2 pandemic. The reason for that is that we are toxic Americans are 70% overweight, 50% obese in adults, 50% overweight, and 35% obese in kids. Obesity is a risk factor. The reason obesity is a risk factor is numerous, but one is that uh, adipose tissue is pro-inflammatory. Adipose tissue holds on to all of the petrochemical toxins that keep our bodies uh, unstable and um, in a situation where we actually develop more violent reactions to infection. And that's evident in many other infections. Epstein-Barr virus can result in uh, uh, actually uh, long-term toxicity and Epstein-Barr virus seems to result in multiple sclerosis. There's a significant association. So we have ongoing autoimmunity. We know that the ongoing autoimmunity that occurs from SARS-CoV-2 infection in the post-COVID long-haul syndrome These are results of the body making antibodies to itself. Actually, one of the ones that creates one of the longer-term problems is antibodies against interferon. Interferon is a a, a cytokine, a chemical that our body uses to fight off infection. So it's interesting that the SARS-CoV-2 infection in COVID produces antibodies against a piece of our immune system that fights viruses. And so we have... We've have been finding over the last couple of years more and more information that directs us to what's happening, the autoimmunity and what we can do about it because we know how to actually tame some of the autoimmune issues. And, you know, some of the simpler things that we can do is eliminate some of the toxins that we eat, like grains. Grains contain lectins, grains contain, especially mass-produced grains. Obviously, uh, they can be stored and, and hold mold toxins. This is well well documented in, in the literature. And um, also just the gluten from gluten-containing grains really, really rips up our systems. But I just want to remind everybody that this is WMNF 88.5 Tampa. This is the Healthy Step Show.
0: It absolutely is. And I've got a short parade of callers here. I've got Andrew, Ryan, and... Al, but I'm going to remind folks, as Dr. Ed said, you're listening to the Healthy Steps radio show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa, and you're invited to participate by calling 813-239-9663. Let's put Irene, uh, not too much to work, but keep her busy. And you can send emails to dj at WMNF.org. Let's go to Andrew in St. Pete. Good morning to you, Andrew. How are you today?
2: I'm okay. Thanks for taking the call. uh, My question is, uh, I was diagnosed about 10 years ago with GERD, and the doctor told me to take Omeprazole, and I was on it for a couple of years, and then I quit. Um, I had another endoscopy, and they told me to take Omeprazole, and I did it again. Now I went into the GI doctor the other day and for another problem, and he asked me if I was taking omeprazole, and I said no, I quit. He said I needed to be taking it because of the GERD and because it's a cancer preventative. I uh, I know what the side effects of the omeprazole, and that's why I quit. But I don't know how much of a, how much he's shining me on, or whether he's telling the truth.
1: So well, interestingly enough, I think your gastroenterologist should read a bit more. There, a lot of these people live in a bit of a delusional world where they think that drugs have no problems and that they actually cure everything, like Pandora and her box. There's no panacea, never will be. Um, but we do have a lot of very, uh, uh good inter- information about omeprazole. And so, simply found, um, if you go to drugs.com, and there's published research on it, but drugs.com is kind of a clearinghouse for answers about drugs. Official answer, long-term use of proton pump inhibitor acid-suppressing agents such as omeprazole has been associated with an increased, increased, increased risk of stomach cancer. So, long-term use of proton pump inhibitors is is actually contraindicated in all humans, despite the fact that all gastroenterologists believe that it's Like mother's milk, and we need it forever. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, so GERD. GERD is an interesting condition that has a lot of potential triggers. One of them is histamine. And so one thing everybody who has GERD can try is a low histamine diet. And you can find that on the internet. There's a little bit of discrepancy between which person is publishing the data little little bits of changes but primarily you want to avoid all fermented foods so that means sauerkraut aged cheeses vinegars that haven't been distilled distilled vinegar doesn't have the histamine in it but red wine vinegar apple cider vinegar and balsamic vinegar all have it rice vinegar has it Only distilled white vinegar is free of those triggers. Another fermented food that everybody loves is called alcohol. Beer and wine are huge triggers for GERD. Wine especially because it not only has histamine in it, but it also has the alcohol that deactivates the enzyme DAO that prevents that, that actually breaks down the histamine so you don't have a histamine response. Histamine increases stomach acid, increases stomach motility, so it actually fills the bag with acid and then squeezes it. So what do you expect? You're going to have reflux of acid into your esophagus, especially if you eat too okay. much and your lower esophageal sphincter is too weak. Another thing you can do to help with this is to take digestive enzymes to help move your food through. You also would benefit from not having anything to drink water-wise after, say, 7 o'clock at night. And you want to avoid acid-increasing drinks like coffee and tea. If you do all these things and your GERD doesn't get better, then it's worth considering a medication called famotidine, which is an antihistamine it will have a dual effect of reducing the stomach acid and blocking the histamine that's probably causing the GERD. It will also help you reduce gastric motility, which squirts the acid upwards. And so the um, proton pump inhibitors do not do that. And if you're taking them long term, you get addicted to them. They're really not a great choice.
2: Yeah, I, I, I heard you get addicted to them. But what was the name of that
1: enzyme you said? Digestive enzymes of any kind.
2: Oh, okay. Right.
1: Yeah. But if you're having GERD, I would avoid the ones that have HCL in them. Hydrochloride is acid. That's hydrochloric acid. So you don't want to do the ones that are triple combined and have the betaine hydrochloride or the uh, uh, glutamic acid hydrochloride. Those things will irritate your stomach if you have GERD. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All
3: right.
2: HCL. Yeah. I appreciate the advice. Thank you.
1: You're welcome, Andrew. Have a great week and have a great holiday season. Thank you. Bye-bye. All
0: righty, and I've got, waiting patiently, Ryan and Al and Greg from Illinois just walked in the door. So let's go to Ryan. Good morning, Ryan.
4: Well, good morning, gentlemen. Hey there. This is Ryan. What should we talk about today?
1: Lay, um, hey, it's, on, it's on you. You're called.
5: <laughs> um,
4: you know I'm going to talk about breathwork. work. I, I, I did meet with my friend George last week, and I gave him some uh, facilitation with breath work. He's having a great transformation. He's rebuilding his immune system. Um, my call is uh, quite a manifestation today because it's right on point with what you're saying. He, he, he got off all his histamine producing stuff um, and he's just rocking it.
1: Um, that's fantastic. He,
4: you know, he's doing, he's doing the baby thing. And I say that because when we were babies, we were building our immune systems and putting everything in our mouth that's dirty. And, um, yep. and also when, and w- when we were babies, we were doing some amazing breath work because our diaphragms were so developed for breathing. And then as as we've become adults and things happen to us, uh, that breathing goes away in our bellies. And, um, so I'm glad we can talk about, the, the histamines and some breath you know, work. Thank Ryan, you Ryan,
1: so I was noticing, um, recently, um, about, uh, about the breath and it's so I've, I've been really paying attention to emotions um, and just watching them move through my body. And I have really noticed that I will actually have a tightening in my lower abdomen that actually inhibits the deep diaphragmatic breathing when the emotion is a negative one. And it's really so important to pay attention to that so that we can transcend those restrictions that we have in our energy flow.
4: You know, you know, when you're feeling joy, quote unquote, and you're feeling good and you're in full flight, you don't notice it, but your breathing patterns are completely open. Yes. And that, and you, that is why you're feeling that joy. Exactly. But of course, when you can't pay your bills and you, somebody runs a stop sign in front of you, bam, right in your stomach. So yep. your, stomach is, your stomach is very sensitive to emotion. Very hey. and when you and you when you breathe in into the okay everybody, let's put your hand on your belly. What are you gonna do? Five. When you when you breathe in, your hand goes up. One, two, three, four, five. There. We did five conscious breaths together on the radio. How about that?
1: That's amazing. Thank you, Ryan. I really appreciate your input.
4: And you, and you bang out fifty of those. You're going to get some feelings coming up. Make some noise. Shake your, shake it out. Do fifty more. Yep. And then you're you're on your way.
1: Hey, you I are. A, I totally agree. I had agree. a
4: question. What's that? I had a question um, about yes. um, a scent mo- A regular molecule uh, would be like the size of my car, but a scent molecule would be like the size of a next to my car. Uh, from what I understand, a scent molecule is very small and it flies through the air. So I'm, I'm playing music um outside for a Christmas show and I'm getting a river of perfume and fabric softeners and everything hitting my nose.
5: <laughs>
1: yes.
4: And I remember when I was a sailor, I could smell a pot of coffee 10 miles away. Um, and I think that's why we probably lost... Vietnam, but um, so tell me about scent molecules versus, let's say, a uh, a COVID mo- a COVID molecule. Are they
1: the same? Uh, size? I was just I was just thinking about that. So um, the spike protein is a protein. Proteins are made up of multiple amino acids. I mean, we're looking at hundreds of them, and so the scent molecules are like. Um, hormones, they are um, usually um, ring molecules. A lot of them, terpenes, are, are ring molecules that are very similar in shape and size to estrogen and testosterone. These are very tiny molecules, and each ring is say the size of one amino acid. So if you have you know two rings in a scent molecule, and that's equivalent to two amino acids. but you have hundreds of amino acids in a protein like COVID spike protein, then you have uh, uh, an obvious, huge difference. The scent molecules, like the hormones, can go ever, go, go all over, and can be easily transported through the air without any kind of carrier. Um, right. The covid spike protein you know people have talked about shedding it's a little insane because you have to have water droplets to carry that around unless you're coughing you're you're not really shedding water droplets it's vapor so you're not really able to actually shed covid spike protein if you're not symptomatic it's it's too too difficult it's too big a molecule it
4: doesn't survive in the vapor right
1: what you're saying I mean, well, no, it can't like it's too heavy. It's too big. A protein doesn't float around as vapor, but a terpene, a scent molecule can.
4: So, um, so a scent molecule is like a feather in the wind, but a, uh, a COVID molecule, is like, it just drops.
1: Like a bowling ball.
4: Okay. Got it. Got it. Thank you. That's, that's You're what welcome. I want to know. What, what, what else am I, what else am I bringing into my body when I'm smelling things? That's what I want to know. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's well, all those petrochems that uh, we have not yet banned. Um, <laughs> microplastic, I mean, there the, was one study that showed that 70% of the little particulate you see in your afternoon sun coming in the window, that particulate is mostly microplastic, and, and it's got uh, uh, persistent organic pollutants stuck to it. So uh, there's, about- there's petrochem poison stuck to the microplastic. You breathe it in, it lands on your respiratory mucosa, and you absorb it.
4: I'm, I'm doing a lot. I do my, my cleansing breath and my, my diet does a pretty good job. I'm more worried about uh, living, breathing and living things.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I, I get you. But it's all there. We, we have to deal with it all. And the reason that we have such response to COVID um, is because we have such toxicity. We have so many layers of toxic burden that our body just freaks out when it gets an infection now.
4: Right. It compounds it. Right. Gotcha.
1: All right, man. We call, it the, we call it the total toxic burden. And um, uh, your breathwork actually reduces one of the components that adds to the total toxic burden. It reduces stress.
4: Yes. Nice. Thank
1: you. Good. Welcome. Good to know. Indeed. Have a great week. Good stuff today. All right. Bye, guys.
0: Bye-bye. All right. Thank you there, Ryan. And I've got Al in Odessa. Good morning, Al.
4: Hello.
3: Hey there. Excuse me, good morning. I have a a question about my wife. Uh, She has Crohn's, and supposedly um, she has neuropathy in her feet, and they attribute that to Crohn's. Now, I want to know if if it's true. True, because I have diabetes, and I had neuropathy. Yeah. Um, And it seems uh, different than what she has. So is there a I mean do so
1: they are they similar? Any any inflammatory condition can result in some neuropathy. Okay. Um diabetes neuropathy is likely related to the, the, the destruction of small blood vessels, small capillaries feeding the um nerves it's, in the periphery. Okay, and it probably can happen the same way with Crohn's disease because long-term inflammation uh, causes damage to the microcirculation.
3: Okay, thank you.
1: You're uh, welcome. Uh,
3: no, no, I'm sorry. I, I'm trying to continue. It just I was dealing with somebody.
1: So, okay, uh, so, so the would, but, there's other things with Crohn's that are different though because gastrointestinal. Inflammation can lead to other problems like vitamin deficiencies. Crohn's is known to be associated with B12 deficiency. B12 deficiency is a cause for neuropathy. So treating the B12 deficiency, even if the lab test says that it's quotes in range, if it's less than 500, it's still less than needed to heal neuropathy. But methylcobalamin, which is methylated B12, methylfolic acid and um, uh, pyridoxal five phosphate, which is activated B six, and a one of my favorite uh, nutritional supplements, alpha lipoic acid, all are shown in clinical research to reverse neuropathy. And so, anybody that has neuropathy should be taking at least these supplements, and your doctor should be telling you these supplements are proven in the medical literature to actually help turn back neuropathy.
3: Now, what was the last nutrient you had said? The long one,
1: alpha lipoic acid.
3: Lycoic, okay.
1: L-I-P, yeah. as in Paul, O-I-C.
3: Lipoic, okay. Uh, yeah, I know that as soon as I I took the uh, carbohydrates for the most part out of my diet, the neuropathy went away.
1: Well, gluten can also cause those problems too. <laughs> so um, it's a major carbohydrate for us, and anybody with Crohn's disease should be avoiding dairy and gluten anyway.
3: Yeah, she does. All Good. Right. Uh, is there any any... I mean, she's tried about everything, you know, a person who doesn't really give up. Is there anything she should be trying as far as
1: stabilizing the, uh, the Crohn's? Well, I just gave you a couple suggestions, get off the gluten and dairy, but um, I would suggest that she have her microbiome looked at by a doctor who does real stool tests, and that would probably be a functional medicine doctor.
3: All right, so I remember this stuff. I better get off so I can tell her.
1: All right, <laughs> you can listen to it again.
3: Have a great Thanks week. Thank well you for your uh, information.
1: Thank you. You're welcome. No Kidoki, okay, That was good.
0: Um, I've got uh, Greg from Illinois on the line and the phone ringing, so somebody else is creeping on in. But I'm going to take this second to tell folks you are listening to the Healthy Steps radio show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. Give us a call at 813-239-9663 or continue to send your emails. To DJ at wmf.org. Let's go to Greg. Good morning, Greg.
6: Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for the opportunity. I love the show. Um, I uh, have two questions. My first one is I had so- shoulder surgery. And by the way, the um, the uh, tendon supplement, they're amazed at my healing recovery. It's a uh, it's a synovial product or a uh, uh,
1: synovix I'm, tendon ligament. Uh, yes. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, yes. Great product. So welcome.
6: It was a pretty significant tear. Um, and I was in a sling for about six weeks. As soon as I got out of the sling and started some uh, real minor stretching and mobility, a lot of scar tissue was there, I started having severe pain in my left hand, which was the same shoulder. Um, they thought it was CRPS, which is um, uh, chronic regional pain syndrome because I had a nerve block up in my, ne- up in my trap um, for, for a 24-hour pain control. It didn't turn out to be that. I went to see a hand doctor, and he said, you've got trigger finger. I'm like, well, what's that? And he said, it's the tendon sheath in my middle finger. Uh, now it's happening in my right hand. It's spreading to my joints. I've got a left knuckle now, and that same knuckle involved is swollen. It's almost like I, I, I it wakes me up in the night when I'm immobile. It, My hands are stiff. It hurts to grip. And by that, in the middle of the next day, the pain's gone, but I still have some issues and I'm wondering if I have some type of there was a trigger with this surgery that maybe caused some fascia inflammation that's kind of reacting in in other joints I've never had a problem with but I just thought I'd run that by a feed if any question because they want to do cortisone injection on the left hand which I'm not doing and um, because I'm not really disabled in any way it's just when I'm immobile over the night it's sometimes in the middle of night my hand really hurts because it's stiff it's almost like an arthritic Um, pain type of guess is what I'm guessing. So that was my, one of my first questions there. If you had any input on that, or maybe you should just go down the route of seeing another orthopod and seeing what they have to suggest.
1: Orthopedic surgeons generally suggest more surgery or another procedure like an injection of cortisone. Um, So actually you have a systemic inflammation and an injection of cortisone into your finger is going to you know, help the finger and it may spill over because the cortisone is absorbed and you may get some help elsewhere for a brief time because all it does is dull your immune system's response for a bit. But you have an ongoing inflammation and that needs to be addressed. So first things first, diet, Um, do an auto or an anti-inflammatory kind of diet. Uh, Paleo tends to be that. Um, Mm -hmm. Going to a high vegetable intake diet, Um, Mm -hmm. three cups of greens, three cups of sulfury vegetables like the brassicas, the onion-garlic family, and the mushrooms, and three cups of um, uh, berries and carrots and beets, all the multicolored things, plus mm-hmm. a good solid amount of lean grass-finished meat or wild-caught food, uh, fish, uh, game. Um, and um, um, eggs are a plus-minus. Uh, you have to really get... Uh, pastured eggs, you don't want the ones that are fed grains. So that's going to poison you again. And um, uh, you know, some seaweed snacks, some seeds and nuts. And uh, I think if you do that diet solidly for a good month, you'll see that it begins to step down. High dose mm-hmm. fish oil. 3,000 to 4,000 milligrams a day has been shown to really uh, affect inflammation. And curcumin, um, uh, curcuminoid extracts, um, uh, 95% curcuminoids is what I shoot for. Uh, Boswellia, frankincense extract, very Mm. potent for reducing inflammation. And getting, since you were in surgery and you had exposure to hospital things, I would suggest that you get a good probiotic to work on making sure your biome is good.
6: Very good. I'm doing most of that, but I'm going to add some of the key points you mentioned. Secondly, for over a decade easily, I've been fighting a lot of mucus. Um, I can't lay on my back at night because it wakes me up because it's in my throat. I don't know if it's if it's coming up from the gut or if it's coming down from the, the, the sinuses. And I just so, uh, it's clear you, it's I, I yeah, you have there.
1: you have more evidence. You have more evidence of chronic and inflammatory condition. I would go to a functional medicine doctor and get a workup
6: very good. That's great. Great advice. Appreciate the help. Glad you're out you're welcome. there and have a have a great holiday, gentlemen. Thanks
7: for the time. Thanks. You too. Bye. Bye bye.
0: Yeah, we're packing them on in this morning. I've got Chris, Onika, Carol, and Darian. So let's go to Chris. Good morning, there, Chris.
1: Hi, good
8: Hi, morning. Chris. Hi, uh, yeah. So uh, since you brought up uh, shedding, or I uh, you know some people also call call it transfection, I think I don't know if that'd be more accurate. Um, there's a, a caller you had who mentioned uh, some months ago who said that because of some indicator in her blood, she was no longer. Allowed to donate blood after she got the a COVID shot. I'm not sure what brand she got, but um, I wanted to mention her and I'll also ask, "What did you? What do you think about blood donations?" Uh, I found a company called Safe Blood at SafeBlood.com that takes blood from those who haven't gotten COVID shots, and and I'm concerned going back a couple of years that uh, Red Cross and One Blood they used to check for those uh, they used to ask those who had gotten the COVID shots to not donate blood for their convalescent plasma. You know, that's where the folks who've uh, recovered from COVID can donate uh, their plasma to have the antibodies uh, centrifuged out to donate to help as a, an emergency use authorized product to help. Sure. Them. And now uh, they're not checking anymore from my research, my calling them up, uh, their their headquarters. Their,
1: you want uh, the skinny on it, Chris? You want, want the skinny office? on it? Yeah, um, well, the the bottom line the bottom line is we have think think about this Chris. We have uh so much evidence that there is such thing as viral persistence. We know that Epstein-Barr virus never leaves the body. We know that herpes virus never leaves the body. So, if you've had and like 50% or more of the population has had these infections, the question for me is do you want that blood? I have become a Jehovah's Witness for blood in the last couple of years. As I research and read, I do not plan to get a transfusion. I plan to get crystalloid and blood expanders, things that will help me have blood volume and blood pressure while my body rebuilds my blood supply from within. I will do auto donation, but they don't allow as much of that. (laughs) <laughs> um, it's tough to actually, For what I've heard from some patients that wanted to donate for their hip surgeries, it's getting harder to do auto-donation. And so I don't know about safe blood, but I don't know that any blood is safe. I don't want a transfusion. I'm not telling people to stop them, but my personal view is that I will do anything possible to stay alive despite the transfusion. I do not want one ever, if I can survive without it.
8: Yeah, I'm I'm thinking of banking my own blood, of course, that has a limited shelf life. Uh, Right, it
1: is limited, and and it's tough to bank it. I've had a patient that's tried to bank it recently, and they were told, no, they can't. I don't know where this was. I don't recall, but I need to do more research because it's a really good question, and I don't want to get somebody else's blood.
8: Neither do I. I was thinking also of HBO 2 The uh, ozone, not the ozone autohemotherapy, where they take out a limited part of your blood, ozonated, but actually all of it. Basically, uh, dialysis, uh, take it out of one wrist and ozonate everything, in, all, all your blood, and uh, reinfuse it in the other wrist. So, um, but uh, yeah, Red Cross and one blood. They said that uh, they think that the immunity, the antibodies produced from um, the uh, COVID shots, was good enough which makes absolutely no logical sense because we're talking about uh, folks with antibodies who have recovered from COVID that they wanted for the convalescent plasma. And uh, and also, um, I, I emailed you uh, a New Zealand whistleblower in the news, uh, the, the news that just came out a few days ago. Uh, he's come across the, the data. He's um, pointing out the data that's showing that uh, 20% of those who've gotten the Pfizer shots have died already. It's really
1: Um, well. That's twenty percent of the people who got Pfizer shots have died. I don't think so because we haven't had um, a uh, uh, what is it about ten percent? No, eight uh, um, um, percent of our population dead from COVID. I don't believe we had eight percent die. So let's move on from uh, hype in the media and just talk about the real stuff. We have viral persistence. That's a really good reason never to get a transfusion. And so it really doesn't have anything to do with um, any specific virus. It could be all of them. And so I just don't think it's a great idea if you can avoid it. Thank you, Chris, and have a great holiday season. Maybe I'll talk to you next week.
8: All right. Yeah, I don't want to be the most shocking person in the room, but uh, this really astounded me. His his reaction to the data. So, anyway.
1: yeah, it's a personal opinion. Right. Let's 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 keep doing research and find out if any of that's actually true.
0: All righty, I got. I'm um, hoping I'm pronouncing the name right. Onika in Sun City. Good morning, Onika.
5: Yes. Hello, Onika. Hi. Good morning. So I was calling in because basically about the same thing with the last caller. Well, not the same thing, but blood, because I have sickle cells. So when I was much younger, I used to get a lot of blood transfusion. And now that I got older, I realized that wasn't good and healthy for my body because now they have to, like, mix the blood because my blood is not on the same thing. So every time I go in to get blood work, my blood is always low. So I haven't gotten a blood transfusion in about, what, four years because my youngest is four, and I had to get a blood transfusion before I had him. Because my blood count is always low. Yes. So, and my thing is, I want to stop getting... I don't... I vow to not get any more blood transfusion because I realize that really messes up your body and your blood inside. So, but... the well, thing, Nika, you know,
1: you're you're dealing with a really difficult situation there in that sickle cell destroys some of your cells and they get eaten up by your spleen. And so you tend to run anemic. That's why it's called sickle cell anemia. And so some of the things though that can make the sickles worse and result in more problems is everything that's pro-inflammatory about our world. Um, so starting with breath work, And oxygenating your body better, you can actually begin to reduce some of that. And then the anti-inflammatory diet that I suggested to the man who had post-surgical inflammation, that's the kind of diet you want to consider to be on because if you eat less lectins, less gluten, and less uh, uh, irritants for the blood vessels, you'll have a more smooth flow there. Another thing that keeps your sickle cell Deformed cells, a little more fluid, a little more slippery, is fish oil. At that dose of four thousand milligrams of omega three fatty acids a day, that really helps things taking- to move along. Vitamin E helps too.
5: Vitamin E, all right. I need to get on some vitamin E because I've been like so cold. Like I've been having to step outside in the sun because my fingers even been numb. So I'm like, been drinking more fluids. I've been taking a fish oil. I take a multivitamin on top of that. All right, so I want to work on some vitamin E next, okay.
1: Yes, and then and the breath work, that will actually help get your fingers warm again because it changes the way your circulation works.
5: Okay, Okay, so breath work and vitamin E, okay. So I will work on that because my blood is always so low, and I'm like, oh, I'm so tired of my blood count being so low. I'm so tired of being so anemic. Uh, yes, Yeah. yes. i like one of the. people uh, that walk around with a sweater when it's hot.
1: Ah, And diet is key there. You really want to get on that. And when you have this much uh, going on with blood production, you want to make sure you're getting enough iron. And a really absorbable iron is called... uh, iron glycinate. It's a really low dose. You can absorb it really well. You don't have to take a lot of it. And so it doesn't affect your gut very much. I find but it, like, uh,
5: over the counter or whatever? Or yeah,
1: I you can it find it at health food, 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 food stores, stores uh, or, food. or order it online. It's iron G L Y C I N A T E glycinate. Okay,
5: iron glycinate.
1: And take it with helpful. vitamin C. That helps too. Okay, and
5: vitamin C.
1: But definitely get to your doctor and make sure your iron levels are checked because sometimes when even though you have anemia in sickle cell, you might have iron storage issues, too. You might have extra iron on board. So definitely get that checked.
5: All right. I'll get that checked. Yeah, because I always like i follow up blood work and stuff like that. So it's just one of those things that I put up with. Like I've been I've been better with the body pain. Like so far, I haven't been getting that much crisis and stuff with the body pain and all of that being sick so often. But it should just right now, trying to build
1: that back up. Well, best wishes, my dear. I hope you feel better soon.
5: And thank you, guys. Enjoy your holiday and enjoy the week.
0: You too. Well, thank you, Anika. Appreciate that and hope you do feel better. I've got Carol from Lake Placid. Good morning, Carol.
9: Hi, this is Carol. Good morning. Good morning, doctor. Uh, My question is, I have called my health care provider insurance company, and called them and asked them if we had a functional medicine provider on our plan, and all I got was crickets. They didn't. They were hesitating to answer me, and she said, J- I don't know. I'll have to check. And it sounded to me like she had never heard of one, and then she started going through all the specialties she had, and none of them were functional medicine. So what, where do I go? I can't change my insurance because it's good so far.
1: Yeah. Uh, the way I would approach that is to go to um, the uh, website for the Institute for Functional Medicine. It's I, F is in Fred, M is in medicine, Institute for Functional Medicine.org. And they have a physician finder on there, and they'll give you doctors within 25, 50, or 100 miles of where you live. And then you can actually check with the, their websites or their profiles to see if they actually take insurance. It's about the only way i know of to actually find a certified functional medicine doctor or practitioner that's been through the rigorous training that i and many others have been many are actually putting up the functional medicine sign when they actually haven't been through functional medicine training
9: so you got to look at their uh, walls to see the certificates i guess
1: well actually really the best is to look at ifm.org because if you make it into the office for somebody you're already paying them money and they may not have the certificate so i would actually check on IFM because all certified practitioners are listed on that website.
9: Okay. I think we take that stuff for granted sometimes when we go into our doctors by not reading what they all have, you know, purposely worked hard for on the wall.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, Florida has a really interesting, uh, uh, rule that the, uh, if, so if, if a terminal degree is offered and the terminal degree is, say, a master's degree and not a doctorate degree in Florida, that's the highest level education you can get in Florida, so that would be the terminal degree, um, you can call yourself doctor. And I know of – there may be at this point, but uh, two years ago there were no doctoral level oriental medicine programs in Florida. People had to leave the state. But because they got educated in this state and the terminal degree was a master's, they were able to call themselves DOM, Doctor of Oriental Medicine. Many of those are not really doctoral level trained. Many are, and it's really tough to find out. You need to ask your acupuncture practitioner, have you actually been to a doctoral program if you are using the DOM certificate? There are many here in Sarasota that are actually doctors, uh, but there are many that aren't and still use this the the title because they're allowed to. Oh my goodness, that's kind of yes, isn't that interesting?
9: Well, thank you so much. And I'm wondering, do you ever get time to relax, or are you always on point for our, our questions?
1: <laughs> um, actually, uh, that's a really good question, and I um, one of my good friends, an astrologer. Brian Hill, uh, puts out a weekly newsletter, and his newsletter today was Follow Your Bliss. And it's really important. Joseph Campbell, the great philosopher, um, talked about following your bliss because when you do follow your bliss, you raise your vibrational frequency. You improve your immune system. You actually are more performance oriented. Brian told a story in his uh, uh, newsletter today about a woman who saw him in consultation and she had three years to retire and was absolutely dejected because she hated her job. He asked, what's your bliss? And she had a while to think she couldn't, she she really couldn't put it in front of her uh, mind. And finally she said, well, I, I used to like to play guitar and that was 40 years ago, but she still had the guitar. So he said, take it out. And, Within three weeks, she was back to him and she was thrilled and she lasted three more years at the job without any difficulty because she found her bliss. And honestly, I do follow my bliss. I was going to actually finish some slides for a lecture I was doing or I am going to be doing in January this past weekend. But instead, I went out and bought a Christmas tree and decorated it. I followed my bliss because this week I'm going to nail this lecture presentation.
9: Don't procrastinate too long. But let me tell you, following your bliss, you will be led as well. You know, you start out following it and it just leads you into more bliss. At least that's what I'm finding out at 85 years
1: old. But So true. It's so true. And that wasn't procrastination because that's actually an intentional um, uh, uh, delay of something you don't want to do. I want to do it. But I just realized that I would do it even better if I cleaned up my workspace and decorated my house because now it's a beautiful place to actually create in
9: well you're doing well and you think you're covering all bases and i hope from what you've been doing for us too it certainly is helping us thank you so much again and have nice holidays all of you You here my favorite station bye
0: absolutely bye-bye thank you carol that's so sweet I've got uh, Darian from Tampa and Chester and Al. Let's go to Darian. Good morning, Darian.
10: Good morning. Good morning. Hi. This is my very first time calling in. Lovely. Very fortunate to listen to you, Dr. Harvey, on the archives. But uh, I called out today and I'm a little embarrassed, by the way, following your bliss. What an amazing thing. And is that in your new house without the mold?
1: Um, Actually, it's in the rental that I'm using because I haven't even been able to start mold remediation yet. Um, We're still waiting on another quote. Everything's backed up because of last year's hurricane. It is so hard to get this moving forward.
10: Uh, Everything you talk about, and I feel embarrassed calling in actually because there's so many articulate, systematic um, questions. But mine is um, a bronchial cough. It just came on. I don't get sick. It's not a cold, but it's so simple yet I feel like like I'm dying. Um, Coughing all night and then uh, a a bit of phlegm and then just blowing my nose because of the act of coughing so much.
1: How long has this been going on?
10: It's been going on about um, five days.
1: Oh, okay. It's probably one of the current upper respiratory viruses. However, there's been a massive change in the weather. Humidity tends to make me get stuffy. And as the intense humidity blows through, it tends to let up. So it could be a combination of things, but there are definitely colds going around.
10: Right. It's not, I don't have a sore throat or anything like that. It's just a, an annoying, deep cough.
1: Yeah, so there's a um, uh, a remedy that you can get at, uh, I think, the vitamin shop. It's called Clear Lungs. If you're solely dealing with uh, chest congestion, it's a Chinese herbal that tends to balance things. But it really would be a good idea to get it checked if it doesn't improve within a week or so.
10: Okay. Gosh, thank you so much.
1: You're so welcome. Thank you, Darian, and I do hope you're feeling better soon. I've oh, and got- by the way, there are, no, there are no dull or bad questions, Darian. Thank you for asking.
0: All right, I've got uh, Chester in Brooksville, and that is a good point. People shouldn't be shy to call on in and voice their questions. This is what we're here for. Chester, how are you doing this morning?
7: Doing okay. Uh, Just a couple questions, real quick. My doctor said that I shouldn't be having like regular eggs, like fried eggs or something like that, because it increased my. Is that the bad
1: cholesterol? Actually, there's no bad cholesterol, but that's the one that that people call bad. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, That's good to
7: know. Um, Do do hard-boiled eggs have the same amount of cholesterol or is it assumable to the body as fried eggs or just boiled eggs, poached eggs?
1: So the best way to do eggs is to... Cook the yolk as little as possible because that way you won't have oxidized cholesterol in the yolk. So don't hard fry your eggs. You want to have a sunny side up egg. You want to have a soft boiled egg. And if you're going to do scrambles, you want to do them so they're soft, a little bit runny, the way the Chinese do. It's really the best way to allow the yolk to not get destroyed. But there's a test called the Boston Heart Labs Cholesterol Balance Test. Not all doctors do it, but all doctors can order it. It's a standard regular lab test, but it's unique in that it tells you whether you're more of a cholesterol producer in your liver or a cholesterol absorber from your diet, or you may be both, which means you have to pay attention all around. But if you get the Boston... Test that looks at cholesterol balance. You can find out whether you need to really avoid eggs. And uh, to be honest, I've watched one woman who had a very high absorption and low liver production, but always ran a a pretty elevated cholesterol until she actually um, got rid of the eggs. She was losing weight, losing muscle mass, and having less ability to exercise as intensively as she wanted to. And so she added two eggs twice a week back into her diet, and her cholesterol went from 210 to 330 in. One month, so absorption is really critical. If you're absorbing, you would really want to avoid the eggs. Okay, and that's the Boston what test? Boston Heart Labs cholesterol balance test. Boston Heart Labs cholesterol balance test. Okay. Yeah, you could probably go to any lab test now and ask them to order it. They'll just you have to pay them cash. Um, but uh, if you can find a doctor to order it, it's going to be on insurance.
7: Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll see if Humana covers that. Um, why not?
1: Yeah, that's a question. <laughs>
7: <laughs> one, one other question: South salad. Do you eat the salad before dinner or after dinner?
1: Well, I think that's based on convenience and how hungry. <laughs> <laughs>
7: okay, I was just wondering if it made any difference. Okay, well, thank you very much, Doctor. Thank you for so Thank you for taking all our questions. Really, appreciate glad to. It. Thank you. I have a, a great
0: testament. holiday. And let's go to Al in St. Pete, I mean in Clearwater. Good morning, Al.
3: Yeah, good morning. Uh, I was on before, but I forgot one of my questions. Sorry. What's it uh, got, Al? This is, I got a visual. It's cataracts and retinopathy. Uh, mm. do they go hand in hand or because it seems like since I've gotten retinopathy and they've been <laughs> doing injections, and the cataracts have come on. I, I've had uh, cataract surgery, and now I have, I guess, uh what do you call it uh
1: just some posterior
3: the
1: eye, yeah yeah the posterior capsule cataract that comes in the on the, the 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 back end of it so um cataracts and retinopathy are uh diabetes associated inflammatory changes and so okay. keeping the a1c below 6 mm-hmm. is going to really help that where is your a1c okay. now uh
3: last time i did it was 8.3
1: Oh my, yeah, you're getting, that's a blindness level. You need to get it down to six. And you can do that by going on a paleo style diet, eating like the nine cups of fruits and vegetables a day, mostly vegetables, one or two fruits, good lean meat, fish, fish oil, and um, eliminating the grains, the starches. You can have some beet, you can have some sweet potato, you can have occasionally white potato. You don't want to have all these other carbs though, because that's, pushing you to higher sugar. And you can take a fiber capsule before meals, which will actually delay the uptake in any sugar in your meal and create a lower A1C.
3: All right. Now, the doctors prescribe basically have three medications I'm on for the diabetes, metformin, trulicity, and I can't remember the third, but metformin and trulicity are the two sure. main ones. Do they work uh, efficiently enough or I should just stick to it?
1: Um, I wouldn't change any of your medications. I would change your diet and then see what your doctor okay. says about the medication. You may end up actually yeah, course, dropping a medication if you do the right thing there.
3: Yeah, the diet's the hard part.
1: <laughs> exactly. That's the key. Yeah.
3: <laughs>
1: nothing and, worth, and nothing worthwhile is course, easy. <laughs> and exercising, of course. Exactly. But diet first, man. Diet first. It's really the key. Yeah. But exercise, no doubt that 20 minutes to 30 minutes of walking a day turns back type 2 diabetes. Well, I saw a holistic doctor. Hey, I gotta I gotta say thank you very much for calling out. We are okay. down to the wire and you have a great holiday. And try to thank dodge you. those starches during the holiday. The cookies are coming. They are coming, man. You know it. They're in they're in your okay. face. Okay. <laughs> thanks a lot. You're welcome. So Irene, thanks for lining these people up for me. Bill, again, a beautiful job. Thank you for producing the show. And all my happy, healthy steps listeners, keep listening keep taking one healthy step a day if it's just stepping outside the house and walking around the block a couple of times.
0: That is such good advice and sounds like it's really simple to do and it is. And so before we put this to bed, I wanna thank everybody for calling in and participating and thank you, Dr. Harvey and thank you, Irene. Y'all are the greatest. You have been listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa. Coming on up is five minutes of NPR news and then get ready for the Sustainable Living Show hosted by the Cracker Jack team of Kenny Coogan and Annie Ellis. So until next Monday at 10 a.m., thank you for supporting and listening to the Healthy Steps Radio Show with Dr. Fred Harvey here on WMNF Tampa, your community-conscious radio station. Stay safe, stay thoughtful, and know that you are loved.